This week on Myths and Legends, it's a Viking love story. But before we get there, we'll see some Viking feuds, meet an evil troll who's never read the monkey's paw story, and the bandit bros Sam and Falafel. The creature this week is a chill hipster merman and his murderous girlfriend. This is Myths and Legends, episode 339, Fjord of the Rings. Previously on the podcast, Viking, a Viking, married Finna, the daughter of a Jarl. They had nine sons, the oldest kids being Thorstein and Thorer. The local king, Njorfi, was Viking's old raiding buddy, alongside Viking's blood brother, Halfdan. And Viking and Njorfi had something of an intensely competitive friendship. Njorfi had nine sons as well, and after one bonked Thorer on the head, the son of Njorfi had an accident, where he fell on a spear Thorer was carrying, when Thorer was walking around his house in the middle of the night uninvited. To avoid the wrath of the princes, the sons of Viking fled to a lake safe house Viking kept. But Jokul, Njorfi's oldest, befriended a sorcerer troll, Ogatan, who allowed them to sneak up on the cabin with a team of 30 warriors in the dead of night. And that's how I met your mother, Thorstein beamed. Frithiof, his son, just looked back and forth. Uh, what? He didn't say anything. He just left off when Jokel and the Berserkers were walking across the ice, about to raid the cabin. Thorstein thought about it. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, well, he he lived. Obviously, Frithiof scowled. Well, your grandpa pulled me out. Viking, Thorstein said. You know, when he came to bury his sons. The smile faded from Thorstein's face. Yeah, Vikings' nine sons had all but bested the nine sons of Njorfi and the twenty berserkers they brought with them. Almost. They killed all but two of Njorfi's sons, Jokul and Grimm. Only Thorstein and Thorer survived. I'm, oof, I'm sorry, Frithiof said. Did kind of explain why family reunions were kind of sparse. And Grandpa Viking? Thorstein said that when Prince Jokul discovered that they were living in their parents' basement, and they were while they healed, he sent warriors over Viking's wall. Thorstein and Thorer fled into the night, to Halfdan, on the other side of the mountains. His father, well, his father Viking was in Valhalla now. Thorstein said that they made it to Halfdan, after jumping the chasm, wading through the freezing river, and fighting the bandits named Sam and Falafel. Frithiof blinked. Uh, yes, I know. No relation to the Middle Eastern dish. Probably, Thorstein continued. Anyway, they were going to actually get back into the story now. And you come from Viking, Half Dan studied the boys. He had heard the sons of Viking were dead. He had wanted to make the journey to comfort his blood brother, but leaping across a 45-foot chasm last time ended with him clawing at the dirt and the rocks on his side, servants pulling him up. He didn't dare try to make it again. Also, Sam and Falafel, famous bandits who were now a thing of the past, thanks to Thorstein discovering Sam's magic helmet that kept him from being injured. Thorstein handed Halfdan the ring, and his face lit up, a reminder of his oath. 
Real quickly, when I say ring, I don't mean like a finger ring. It's like a, it's a Viking arm ring. They gave them away and accepted them for many reasons, but for our purposes, it's a way to show loyalty to a lord, friend, or in this case, both. Half Dan clasped the ring and invited the boys inside. Also, you could just knock next time, Half Dan said. The brothers did knock, yelling for Half Dan to come out. When he didn't answer, because Half Dan was in town and only his family was home, the boys, quote, climbed the roof and rode the house until it creaked. Half Dan returned to this and his family cowering in a corner. His chilly reception then was not surprising. Halfdan told the boys that he would not support any attack on King Njorfi. Njorfi wasn't his sons. Halfdan had sworn a blood oath, and he intended to honor that. The boys couldn't stay there either. There were rumors of the one Jokul had taken into his council. He had done evil things in the past. He was a troll, and not the internet type. That's actually not based on this type of troll from an etymological standpoint. It comes from when people troll for fish dragging bait from a boat and waiting for the fish to bite. The boys looked at him, uh, oh, sorry, yeah, I had a conversation like this with your dad years ago where he warned me about anachronisms and angry emails. Half Dan nodded. What, what's an email? Thorstein looked at Thorer, who just shrugged. He wasn't even sure what mail was. That a boy, right back to it. All right, let's get you guys some ships. Half Dan clapped and helped the boys out. Three years ago, a man stood before the king, Mogaton, the wizard troll. The king asked why he was there, but Ogaton held up a hand, interrupting him. He was there as a kindness. He would give the king of Sagan a choice, fight him or give up his lands and become a Jarl under him. The king, Skate, laughed, but Ogaton didn't. He stepped forward, drawing a dagger. The men, the warriors, surrounding him didn't move. It was like they didn't see anything at all. King Skate, which sounds like a Midwestern skating rink from the 1980s, rose, shouting for his men. Oh, they can't hear you. This is a choice you have to make, Okatan smiled. King Skate said, but his children, they, they were still young. Everyone dies, wondering what will happen to their children. If they're lucky, you will be no different, Okatan said. What would it be? Death or servitude? King Skate fell with honor in the duel the next day. Thorgrim, one of his berserkers, learned that day what was happening, what people were letting happen to the elderly king, and made it home just in time to grab Bele, the king's son, from the longhouse and escape to the sea. Ingiborg, the king's daughter, wasn't so lucky. She was also not as weak as Ogaton had hoped. She told him she would rather die than marry him. He tried the supervillain line of, that can be arranged, but she didn't break his gaze. She didn't flinch. She couldn't be left alone, lest she make good on her promise, and any time she was in his presence, she would use absolutely any item she could to try to end his life. At that point, I think it's pretty clear that things are not gonna work out. So, Ogaton devised a new curse. He was gonna Shrek it. She would be like his own sister, an evil troll. 
The princess forced herself not to cry out as she lurched over and transformed. Her skin turned green and scaly, her fingers to claws, her eyes yellow and cat-like. Then she laughed a low laugh. Ogaton wasn't quite sure what was happening. Why was she laughing? Turned out, when you want to curse someone to be like your evil, magical troll sister, don't do exactly that. He gave her the looks, but also the power. In addition to a Princess Fiona, it was also a reverse Jafar from Aladdin, who got the cosmic power, but was surprised by the curse. She got the curse, but was surprised by the cosmic power. She had a curse of her own. She said that his time in her kingdom would come to an end. And soon. Already, her brother was gathering his forces. Bele would be back. Ogaton's face blanched. He had made a terrible error. And he was chased out of the kingdom, and Bele was restored. Bele went to go find his sister, but she was gone. And after that, he made his way to Norfi's kingdom, and met Jokul with a bag of weather in an alleyway last week. Thorstein was dreaming, again, that he would look down and see H-E-L, hell, the cold place for the dishonored dead, that he was descending toward it, that he was drowning, because Thorstein was actually drowning. He opened his eyes and tried to scream, but his mouth and lungs were full of water. He struggled to the surface and coughed. He had been swimming for days, ever since the cloud that looked like the sorcerer friend of Jokul's sank the ship, killing everyone on board. It didn't kill Thorer because Thorer wasn't on board. The hothead that had gotten him into this mess didn't make it past their first stop. He fell in love with a princess, battled her evil supernatural dad, and settled down. Thorstein continued on because, well, he wanted his own story, not just to be a supporting character in his brothers. As he died, he recognized that that was a bad choice. He snapped awake. He had fallen asleep again. He swam to the surface, vomited a few more times, and looked dead into the face of the hag. Just go with crone, or even elderly woman? It's not quite as mean as hag, the crone said. What do you want, witch? Thorstein spat. The crone furrowed her prodigious brow. She was wanting less and less to save him, the more he kept up with that kind of talk. Thorstein said, wait, yeah, how was she standing here? He popped his head under the water and saw her gnarled legs extending off into the void. Ugh. He was sorry he asked. So, I mean, do you want to be saved or not? The queen asked. Thorstein bobbed his head back and forth. Sure. Yes, okay. The crone said she wasn't loving how long that hesitation lasted, but to be saved by her, he needed to grant the favor she asked of him, when she asked it. He said, sure, if it meant not dying, yes, granted, eventually, someday, when she asked it. She put him under her arm and walked them both to a nearby island. It's weird that your legs extend down to the ocean floor all Tim Burton-like, Thorstein said, watching her walk underwater. Why do they do that? Uh, why don't yours? She asked. Eh, fair enough, he nodded. By the time they made it to her fire, 
Thorstein was shivering and couldn't get warm after the days in the water. So, according to the saga, he and the witch, quote, wrestled to get warm. I don't know what this means. I'm pretty sure it doesn't mean what we are all thinking it means, but honestly, that only makes it more confusing. If you happen to be a scholar in Old Norse and have a copy of the saga of Thorstein Vikingson, it's in chapter 19. After some hot wrestling sessions, but not those types of hot wrestling sessions, probably the pair parted. Skelenifia, the troll, was happy. Not because of Thorstein. That had been faded. But because she could now do what she had been wanting to do for years. Out on the sea, Jokul and Ogaton were sailing. Is it done? Jokul asked. Ogaton closed up his spell book or wiped away his runes or transmutation circle or whatever he used to do magic. It was finished. He couldn't see Thorstein anymore. Then Ogaton shuddered. Wait, no, 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 no. A winter storm turned up in the sky in the distance. It was moving quickly and there was nowhere to run. When it hit the boat, it enveloped them in freezing darkness. But just as quickly as it arrived, it was gone. Ogaton, what? What was that? Jokul asked. Ogaton? He turned and found Ogaton swinging from the mast of the ship. He was dead. Somewhere, on the wind, a troll woman laughed. We'll see Thorstein realize he has somewhere to be, but that will be right after this. Thorstein landed on Thoror's island and ran. If Jokul could find him at sea, then he would be coming for Thoror, too. Thoror's wife, a princess, was worried. She hadn't seen Thoror all day. She said he went fishing out in the forest. Thorstein knew better, though. Thoror hadn't come home because it wasn't safe. He had seen the signs and fled to protect his family. Thorstein rushed out to the forest to see five dead men. He called out to Thoror, fighting on the cliff face with Jokul, who turned to him with surprise and then smiled with recognition in the twilight right before Jokul put a sword through his chest. Thoror's body tumbled from the rocks and into the river. Thorstein wanted to go after him, but Jokul and his men attacked. Thorstein fell, too, into the river, and the rushing waters carried his body away. We have to stop meeting like this, Thorstein heard when a gnarly claw scooped him up from the water. Hey, hag, Thorstein said after once again vomiting up a ton of water. Skillinfia, the woman said. We talked about the hag thing. Yes, thanks, Crone, Thorstein said. Skillinfia replied that she hadn't saved him yet. He needed to make good on his promise. Marry me she said. Thorstein said, wait, the deal was he married her or she dumped him back into the river to drown? Basically, yes, Skillinfia replied. Uh, hmm. Skillinfia was starting to find the hemming and hawing a little offensive. Yeah, okay, I guess, Thorstein said. The gnarly arms, the gnarmies, as no one says, placed Thorstein on the riverbank. 
and the troll waded to shore. As she did, she melted away. Well, the parts of her that were a troll did. When she reached Thorstein, Ingiborg was as she had been on the day Ogatan had transformed her. She said her curse had been that, unless she found a high-born man to agree to marry her, she would be trapped as a troll forever. Thorstein laughed. I mean, yes. He was happy to now, of course. The choice she gave him was literally marriage or death. That wasn't an actual choice, right? Ingebjörg said that she checkmated a Viking into a situation where he was going to die. So, you know, took some talent. Thorstein laughed again. It's like every day for Vikings that they think they're going to die. Okay, just shut up. You don't have to marry a troll. You hit the jackpot here, Ingeborg said. And I did, Thorstein said. Tragic that she died recently. Frithjof said, yeah. Good thing he's only been telling the story about how he met his mother for like 15 minutes, though, and not nine years. Frithjof said, what about Jokul? And how did he end up here across the fjord from Uncle Bele? Thorstein shrugged. Jokul died. There was a big fight. It was pretty cool. He ended up here because, devoid of a brother, brothers, Bele, his actual brother-in-law, became like family. What about the, the armband? Frithjof pointed to the golden armband. His father had a magnificent ship and a magic sword, but the golden ring was his greatest possession. Oh, boarding school is here to pick you up, Thorstein said. What? Yeah, you're going away to boarding school with your cousin, Ingiborg. She's named after your mom, so, you know, that's a little confusing. Frithjof's face grew warm. Wait, no, he wasn't going to let his dad change the subject. What about the armband? Did it really come from a ghost pirate? We don't talk about the armband, Thorstein shrieked, and tossed Frithjof and his bags out the door. Frithjof smiled at Ingeborg, named once again for her aunt, Frithjof's mother. Ingeborg, the daughter, was the firstborn of Bele and his wife, whose name isn't mentioned because of course it isn't. They had grown up on either side of the fjord, but played together frequently because their families were friends and also family. When the time came for Ingeborg to go away to a tutor and learn to be a queen, she cried and cried until Bele agreed to ask. And then Frithjof went with her. Thorstein, who grew up with eight brothers in constant struggle against eight other guys, saw it as an opportunity for him to change his family's future, for his child to be educated and not just thrust into a violent and chaotic world. Thorstein told frequently how one thoughtless, angry act can cost years of penance, Thor and his brothers likely flashing before his mind. So Ingeborg and Frithjof learned from the same tutor, a man named Hilding, until their paths diverged, hers to diplomacy and seeing to the day-to-day concerns of the kingdom, his to fighting and training. At night, though, Hilding would sit with them by the fire and tell them the stories of the gods of old. These were the old days, too, so he kept it to, like, two one-minute mattress and website ads as mid-rolls, maybe a subscription box here and there and a 30-second pre-roll. No dynamic ads yet. These were simpler times. As the pair grew, though, they noticed something else. In that they started to notice each other and how attractive the other person was. They had new and powerful feelings, you know, puberty. 
it was suddenly thrilling to be around the other person for reasons they couldn't quite understand. Hey, Hilding barked, the elderly man swatting the pair with a narrow stick. Stop that. Listen, stop staring lovingly at each other. It's awkward for me. Frithiof smiled. What? That's so awkward. They weren't looking at each other. They were they were listening to a story. Balder and stuff. No, Hildine grew serious. Their dads. Their dads were dying. Both Frithiof and Ingiborg turned to Hildine. What? Frithiof sat on his father's throne. He looked down on the hall. He had never known the man his father was, the warrior from the stories. Thorstein, his father, was a warm and caring man who loved his mother and him. He looked down to the armband. After his father's death, he did eventually learn the story. It had been forged by Voland, the legendary smith. A pirate had stolen it and taken it to his grave. Thorstein and Bele Indiana jonesed it and tracked the pirate's last travels to Britain. They raided the burial mound and, with Thorstein insisting on going in alone, what he saw in there changed him. We might say it traumatized him because he staggered out and refused to speak of what he saw inside. For the man who had watched his brothers slaughtered in front of him, that was the one time in his life he said he felt scared. After that, he came home. He stopped raiding. He became the man Frithjof had always known, up until he died. The battle was less of a battle and more of a way for two old men to go to Valhalla. Neither Bele nor Thorstein wanted to die peacefully in their beds, so they, of course, declared war on one of their neighbors. The neighbor was, of course, in on it, and was happy to slaughter the attacking legion of leftover geriatric Vikings, who had been nearly too successful at fighting to go on to their eternal reward of more fighting in Valhalla. Side note, I'm not sure what happened here, to be honest. One version says the old men died surrounded by their family in their beds, spouting off wisdom. Another version says that they died in a war that was over as soon as they died, so they went to Valhalla and the war was of absolutely no consequence to their children. I try to find a way for both of those to be true. Anyway, Thorstein died as he lived, losing most of the time, but ultimately being successful. And here was Frithjof, Jarl in his father's place at 19, the greatest warriors in the world ready to fight and die for him, possessing unimaginable wealth. And yet, he missed her. He missed Ingiborg. In a moment, they had been ripped from their halcyon childhood and thrust into a world of politics and succession. He would give it all away to go be there again with her. And he knew that with her by his side, all this would make sense. He would feel normal. He knew what he had to do. So he went to go talk to Ingiborg's brothers. Around minute seven of ten of the straight laughter from Ingiborg's brothers, Helgi and Halfdan, that Frithjof could possibly think himself a lowly jarl, a match for the daughter and sister of a king, was laughable, and they showed him how laughable it was, with all the laughing. The meeting was chosen at a strategic place, on top of Bele's burial mound, so that, 
When they rejected the Viking teen with the sword that could cut through anything, he would not straight up murder them, or wouldn't murder them without violating the sanctity of the place and committing a serious taboo. That's why they were surprised and only wet their pants a little when Frithjof drew his sword and slashed at Helgi. Helgi still stood, though his shield dropped to the ground in two smooth halves. Frithjof stormed away. What's worse than one angry Viking? More angry Vikings. But that will, once again, be right after this. Hey, so I've been thinking, King Ring said to his advisor. His advisor looked up to the yellow smile nestled in the white of the beard. I should get remarried, Ring said. The advisor said, cool, that, that was awesome. He would get some names and the king could have his pick because that's basically how the world works. Ring held up his hands. No, he actually had someone in mind. Did his advisor remember King Bele? It was so tragic how he died young. The advisor almost pointed out that Bele did not die young. And then he realized that King Ring was several years older. So yes, so tragic. Remember his daughter, Ring asked? At first, the advisor thought this was a non sequitur since this was a conversation about Ring's marriage prospects and she's an attractive woman, Ring said. His white beard was not doing his smile any favors. Your friend's kid, the advisor grimaced. Yes, and speaking of children, my children don't have a mother. Ring slammed his fist down. The advisor pointed out that his children and Ingiborg were like almost the same age. So they would get a caretaker and a friend. There's no downside here. Ring clapped his hands. The advisor said, look, he had been working for Ring for a few years now. So we felt like he could say this and keep most of the fingers on one of his hands, but it was gross and weird, and Ingiborg's brothers were not going to go for it. The king said it never hurt to ask. Well, I asked, the advisor said upon his return several weeks later, travel took forever back then. And the king's hopes declined when, scanning the room, he did not see Ingiborg. And they laughed at you. A lot. They apparently liked their laughing. They called you, quote, King Greybeard, the advisor said, which is inaccurate. Your beard is mostly what, not gray, it's not gray. An evil hour shall it be for them that sees King Greybeard on their shores. And then he swore, don't, nobody use that, that's not a thing. I just, I did it for effect, but I regretted it as soon as it came out of my mouth. Prepare to take their kingdom by force. Hey, so nothing to worry about, no big deal at all, but just stay here at Baldur's Grove where people can't attack each other or, you know, be together, wink. Helgi laughed nervously. Once again, not a big thing. Definitely don't think about the army that is about to land to take you by force. Ingiborg's eyes widened. What? But Helgi already ran away. Is he gone? Another voice asked. Frithjof emerged from a bush. 
She briefly chastised him for sneaking up on her when there were guys out, I guess, trying to kidnap her, but then embraced him. She said she missed him. I love you, Ingeborg. I should have told you when we lived at Hildings. I've loved you my whole life. I want to marry you, he said. Hey, dummies. Ingeborg walked from the forest with Frithjof to find her brothers arrayed on the beach with their Vikings, prepared for Ring's imminent arrival. Yes? Her brothers answered and then made a fist. Shouldn't have answered to dummies. My betrothed has an offer, she said, and revealed Frithjof. He said he had met her in Baldur's Grove and worked out what they'd do. They would forgive the brothers for saying no to him, and he would fight on their behalf against Ring and his berserkers. But in exchange, he wanted to marry Ingeborg. The brothers barked at Hilding, the tutor. This whole relationship was his fault. No, 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 I told your dads it was a terrible idea, Hilding said, that those two teens at my school was like the hacky setup to a Netflix rom-com. She would fall in love with the kid from her youth, circumstances would lead them apart, then they'd meet up later in life when she returned home and he was now leading his own successful rating business and then she'd have to choose between the two and... Think about it, Ingi Bjork said, cutting him off and getting serious again because we've all seen that movie. Either way, you lose me. But if Frithjof uses Anger Vadil, the magical sword that we barely talk about for some reason, to fight on your behalf, you'll slay Ring. If you don't, You'll lose the war, lose me, and lose your pride. The brothers looked at Ingeborg, Frithjof, and then to each other. So sorry for the miscommunication, the brothers said to King Ring the following day, handing over the bound and struggling Ingeborg after a very tasteful and dignified surrender. They said they were so happy for the couple. Ingeborg managed to get her gag free, and warned that Frithjof would come for them. He would come for all of them. Helgi replaced the gag and chuckled, oh, she and her stories. Ring asked if there was an ex he needed to be worried about. The brothers grinned. They had taken care of things. The previous day, Frithjof held up his hands. No, I swear, nothing happened. Helgi and Halfdan looked at each other well. He went and professed his love for their sister in Baldur's Grove. That was uh, basically like they consummated their relationship. And then he took her from it? That was kind of like violence. When the kingdoms heard about this? Wow. How far Frithjof had fallen from Thorstein, his father? Frithjof looked in horror. He said he was so sorry. But there is one thing you could do, Helgi said. If he did it, then he would atone for this travesty and even marry Ingeborg. Brother, no! Halfdan cried. He was getting his money's worth for that semester of acting he took at the community college before his dad died and he could move into the family business. Frithjof said anything, anything to atone and anything for Ingeborg. Helgi said the Orkney Islands in northern Scotland. They used to pay tribute. Now they don't. Go make them pay. Sorry, that came out a little ominous. Make them pay tribute with interest, Helgi corrected. And if they don't... Make them pay, this time the violent one. Frithjof stood up tall. He would do it. He would restore his family's name and win Ingeborg. He kissed the hand of the stunned and incredulous princess before running to his ship. 
A day later, the brothers were talking to Ring. Really, you do not have to worry about him. There are sea witches, land witches, sand witches, probably, Helgi said to Ring. No worries at all. Him and his magic sword are on their way to the other side of the world. Ring wrenched his bride on the boat. He would send them an invite to the wedding, and when they were picking stuff off the registry, look for a gift that said, thank you for not conquering us. When he was gone, the brothers looked at the pebbles of the beach. This was a shameful, dark day for their family. Want to go burn down Frithjof's house to feel better? Helgi asked. Haftan said it was like his brother read his mind. Eight months later, Frithjof didn't remember his house being so burned down. It's it's because it's burned down, Hilding called out. He was living in a tent by the old mead cellar. Hilding told Frithjof what happened with Ingeborg. Frithjof raged, but Hilding told him to rage at the Norns, rage at fate. Frithjof kind of took his advice. He did rage at the gods instead and burned down the Temple of Baldur. Then, with no home to go back to, and only a super awesome ship and magic sword from his dad, the sea became his home. He jumped feet first into the Viking life. He had some rules for raiding, which seemed counterintuitive, but I guess even pirates had a code. I posted them on the website. Frithjof was going through some stuff. In some versions, he left to go raid it out with his boys. In others, he surprised Helgi, one of the brothers, at his own wedding and beat him unconscious with the gold. Either way, the feelings were not going away. Frithjof knew where he had to go. He had to go kill Ring. The room of partiers didn't even see him coming until they felt his sword go through their necks, chests, and pretty much everywhere else. Ring stood on the throne in the center of the longhouse, Ingiborg chained up beside him. He cackled. He drew his own sword, and though he fought well, his scowling head thudded on the stone floor. Ingiborg flew to Frithjof, thanking her rescuer, kissing him, and that's how Frithjof thought it would go. He did push open the door of the bustling longhouse, but before he could draw his sword... He saw Ingiborg. King Ring brought her some mead. As they sat at the head of a table, their toddler ran and jumped into his dad's lap. Giggling, King Ring looked at Frithjof with a smile, telling Frithjof to come on inside, close the door, pull up a seat and have a drink. Frithjof, his murderous vengeance caught off balance, said, Yeah, yeah, okay. What's your name? Ring asked. As Frithjof tried to find the answer, his own anxiety growing since this should not take as long as it was taking, said he was... Guest. A guest named Guest. Easy enough, Ring smiled. Ring survived that night of easy talking and relaxing in his longhouse with their people. And many nights after, as Frithjof stayed the winter, he didn't know what was happening. Seeing Ingiborg with her child, and how kind Ring was with both of them, he didn't have it in him 
to turn Ingeborg into a widow and the child into an orphan, which was maybe what helps to explain why he saved Ring's life when his sled crashed through the ice. By the end of the winter, he was Ring's closest confidant. True power is being able to tell a Viking warrior to sit down by a tree and be a pillow for you. Not sure how comfortable a Viking lap is. They look like they don't skip leg day. Still, it was something that King Ring did, and not just a plot way to deliver Ring directly into Frithjof's hands. As Ring fell asleep in his lap, Frithjof slid his knife from his sheath and held it over Ring. It would be so easy out in the forest here. He could say it was a hunting accident. That Ring had been gored by a bull, Robert Baratheon style. But he couldn't. He was one flick of his wrist away from ending Ring's life, but it was cowardly. If he wanted to call out Ring, he should do it in front of everyone in a fair fight, but he couldn't. Not with Ingeborg and their son looking on. Frithjof sheathed this dagger. I shouldn't have done what I did, Ring said, his eyes still closed. Then continued, I shouldn't have taken her. Shouldn't have forced her into marriage. I've told her that a thousand times, but we love each other. We have a wonderful child, but she'll never love me like she loves you, Frithjof. Frithjof gasped. Ring knew? <laughs> Ring laughed, yeah. Guest? Really? The man was the right age. He looked exactly like him. He did that thing where he stared at Ingeborg longingly. Does she? No? Frithjof asked. I think so, but she hasn't told me. This was the final test. I'm sorry for everything I've done, to her and to you. It wasn't right, but if you believe people can change, please know that I have. I regret what I've done, and I've tried to make it right. Ring rose. Part of this was his blessing. Ring was old. He could hear the chants and the feasts in Valhalla better with each passing day. He patted Frithjof on the shoulder, telling him that they should go. The end came for King Ring not long after that. He called Frithjof and Ingeborg into his throne room and told them that this day would be the last day of his life. He would join his ancestors in Valhalla. He took both Frithjof and Ingeborg's hands into his. Ring turned to Frithjof with a tear, pleading with him to please look after his son. He looked to Ingeborg. He had loved her, truly. Then he joined the pair's hands. Frithjof felt his heart leap, but saw that Ingeborg was consumed in both grief and love. He sighed, then was like, wait, don't you have to die in battle to... Turning back, both gasped when King Ring plunged his own sword into his chest because, once again, according to tradition, you have to die in battle to go to Valhalla. Not completely sure that that counts, though. Ingeborg held him as he died, and Frithjof knelt down beside them both and comforted the woman he loved. Frithjof did serve as steward for Ring and Ingeborg's son, and in time, he and Ingeborg became close again. 
though Ingeborg apparently forgave Ring for kidnapping her, she did not forgive her brothers. She and Frithjof led the warriors of Ring's kingdom against her home, killing Helge in battle and forcing Halfdan to pay them a yearly tribute. Frithjof and Ingeborg finally married, and though the carefree days of their youth were gone, with many scars and tragedies having taken place along the way, they did find a new sort of happiness and love together. If you were curious about Balder after his temple burned down, because of course you were, right? Despite the story taking place 800 years after the birth of Jesus, Balder was apparently reborn in the Middle East, and the stories attempt to shoehorn a Christian message in a move that likely deeply offends both the Old Norse pagans and Christians. So, congrats on that story. Oh, and also, I tried to work with Ring to make him contrite, and try to make the story work on even the bare minimum character level. The story doesn't have that. Ingeborg is basically property in some versions, and Ring never really had to answer for kidnapping her in any meaningful way, and never did. That undercuts Frithjof's love for her in a big way, and transforms the ending to just a transaction, where Frithjof sticks it out long enough as BFFs with Ring to marry his childhood crush. I feel like the story can't really have it both ways, so that's why I went with the choices I did. Anyway, enough of me ranting about the story, it was a fun saga. There's way more, especially concerning Thorstein, and I posted a link on the site. Next week, it's something spooky. Our annual Halloween episode is back after taking a couple of years off. The creature this week is Havmond, from Denmark. Havmond, honestly, is just a cool guy. Described as handsome, bearded, and friendly, He's like if those blue avatar water navi were just like friendly hipsters. He has blue skin, green hair, a disarming smile, and will leave you alone if you leave him alone. Not so much his girlfriend. If you think of a Danish mermaid, your mind really only goes one place. Grim, watery deaths, sea witches cutting out tongues, and people bathing in blood. That's pretty much par for the course for the Havfru. She's beautiful with long, golden hair, can see the future, and if she finds you in the water, will pull you under. For, I guess, no apparent reason. She sometimes appears on the coast as a lost and freezing young woman, and since the lesson of most folklore is never help anyone, if someone comes to her aid, they will find themselves being dragged under. There was a spotting of the Havmond, the merman, once in 1719, and people went to investigate. Apparently, this extremely attractive merman on the coast was a dying seal. Which, what does that say for humans when someone's like, wow, look at that supernaturally handsome merman. Oh, wait, no, my bad. That handsome man is just an average seal. That's it for this time. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more of the music we used in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time.